I, uh, we're in kind of week four here of this series, and um, I think the question today uh, is, what does Jesus demand of us? And I, I uh, again, this week, kind of as I, as I was filled my week too entirely full of other things, anybody else ever have that problem? <laughs> you realize, wow, I just, I just ran out of week before I ran out of things to do. Um, and as I was kind of wrapping this up yesterday morning and, and walking through this, I just, I was like, man, this is so, this is so timely. And I was, um, just really, um, humbled. Uh, sometimes I know you'll find this shocking, but sometimes even when I'm, when I'm, when the spirit's leading and I'm, and I'm, and I'm writing a message or, or, or typing things up, like I just, I get tearful. Um, I know that's hard to imagine. Um, but it's just, it's. It's amazing to me to watch how God sort of ordains things, um, and so uh, we've we've talked the last few weeks. And I and uh, and my friend Galen was here last week. If you didn't get to hear that, uh, you can jump on iTunes and grab that podcast. Um, I think what he shared was was timely as well, um, and we'll we'll look at some of that again today. But we've we've talked the last few weeks about turning when into now. We've talked about. Um, turning our intentions into actions. Last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how desperation can lead us uh, to frustration or it can lead us to obedience. And then last week, um, Galen shared with us um, and really asked, I think, a pointed question. And the couple things that I really grabbed for that is, why are there empty seats here? Um, And I think the finger at times has to point back to us and say, well, because I'm not inviting, right? Um, Because I Maybe I'm not active in, in asking. Uh, maybe I'm not really investing in, in and uh, inviting my friends and neighbors. And uh, and I want to challenge us to do that. But I and I also want to just I think this line was really powerful last week. And I'm going to just kind of launch off of this. But our vocation is to reach people for Jesus, and our job is how God pays us to do it. And I just thought that was really a profound statement um, that each of us has our mission field right where we live, right where we work right where we get gas, right right where at the McDonald's that we stop at, or for me, the, the Panera that I hang out all the time, that, you know, you build relationships with these people, and, and, um, and, and God calls us to, 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 you know, invest and invite right where we're planted. So um, there's a price to that, and this is really kind of the big idea for today. So here we are. If you don't remember anything else, remember this, that Brian will be back in two weeks. I <laughs> might have to play some bingo again when he comes back. Um, and they are doing well. I've spoken to them, and, and I believe they were going to Pleasant Valley Baptist Church this morning, so uh, they were heading up north and, and hanging out up there. But um, the big idea really today is that the price to, co- the, to follow costs us everything. And, uh, and like I said, I, I think the longer you've been in church, the more this is going to sound strange. Um, because it's counterculture to not only American culture, but American Christianity in a lot of ways. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 14. We're kind of, kind of linger there. We're also going to jump over to Matthew a little bit and Hebrews. And I don't anticipate getting through all of this at all this morning. So, um, I promise we won't be here till 1230. Um, unless, you know, Jesus says that's what we're supposed to do. And then I'm going to be obedient. And if I'm the only one standing here, then I'll see you at lunch. All right. So, that's just the way it'll go. I'll just watch you trickle out as my stomach growls. But um, we know that Scripture is, is God-breathed, right? We, we've, we've talked about 
several of the things I'm going to cover this morning we've talked about in the past, but I just kind of want to reframe them a little bit. Um, we know that, according to 2 Timothy, that Scripture's breathed by God, that, that through the Holy Spirit, He, he wrote Scripture for us, that, that this is infallible, that it is the Word of God, that it is um, our guidebook, that it is our direction, that it gives us principles and precepts, it gives us commands and promises, it gives us consequences, um, it gives us a call to go, um, it, it answers questions about our lives, it answers every question about our lives, even when we don't like the answers. Um, even when we may say, well, that's not my truth, well, I, to be really honest, it doesn't really matter what your truth is. This is truth. And any other truth that we might claim is out there is a false truth. Um, if it's not based in Scripture, then it is not found in God. And so let's begin there. I, I, I like what Galen talked about last week with one gospel and one call. Um, I, was, I listened to that song this week. I don't know if anybody else did, but that, the song that he talked about for the sake of the call um, that is just such a powerful, really incredible song um, that, uh, that he referred to and, and that we're on one mission, and that's to go. Um, and so we know that Scripture is written by God through the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament um, and that he did not replace the Old Testament, but he fulfilled it. That he not only fulfilled it, but he raised the standard of Scriptures in many ways. Instead of the outward actions that we're so used to following in that time, Jesus called to inward actions. He said, not just are you committing adultery when you sleep with another woman or man, you're committing adultery when you do it in your heart, right? Not only are you sinning when you um, covet your neighbor's things, uh, but it's, a, it's an attitude of our heart. And so he really raised the standard and the calling of our lives. But, you know, why would he do that? And I think the question is why, and this is going to get to be a harder and harder question. I, be, I really believe this. I've um, just that it's going to get harder and harder to to, to, to follow Jesus. It's going to get harder and harder to call ourselves Christ ones. And this American Christianity that we've come to know and love is going to fade. And it's going to look very different. And so why would we want to follow Jesus? What is it that draws us to the cross? Why would we want to try and understand the Bible? Why um, you know, Jesus offers us life forever, but, but what about the here and now? Is there, is there some kind of hook, right, about salvation? Is it really free? Do we really have to do anything and still go to heaven? Or can I, you know, literally just say a prayer and get saved and it's all good? Is that, is that really, am I really saved if that's what I did? Like, is that really what God is calling us to, or is there more than that? And I believe the answer to that is an answer that we don't want to necessarily hear, and I believe there is more to it than that. I believe there's a surrender, and I believe there's um, a lordship that must come with that for salvation to be true. We've made it incredibly easy in American culture to get saved. In fact, many churches have, have stepped away from the, the invitation at the end of the service where we just have somebody pray a prayer because I believe we're selling Jesus short in those moments. 
Um, and that's not to say that that isn't how we come to the cross, but it's what happens after that, right? It's what happens beyond when we decide that we're going to follow Jesus. And it does have to cost us something. And this is where your, your, your eye is going to go a little crooked and you're going to get a little funny because, well, I thought it was free. No, it's not. It will cost you something. It does cost us something to come to Jesus. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Jump down to verse 33 with me. I think I've got this up there, Madison. It says this, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he is cannot be my disciple. It just cost us something. It just cost us something. Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Bottom line, the words there are all that he has. It doesn't say anyone who surrenders some of his life to me can be my disciple. It doesn't say somebody who prays a prayer can be my disciple. It doesn't say somebody who uh, teaches in children's church can be my disciple. It says someone who has to renounce all that he has, if he's not willing to do that, cannot be my disciple. And we're gonna, we see this over and over in the New Testament. So what are we supposed to do with that? What does Jesus demand of us, and what does that look like in real life? How do we take it from, from these pages and make that a reality for our, for our lives. And the, the issue with American Christianity is that we want to make it a series of boxes to check off, right? And the, the church has been so guilty of this. We're, we say, well, you know, if you're, if you're part of the Bible reading plan, um, then, then, you know, you, that's a box to check. Speaking of which, Madison, you threw that slide up. Um, our, our new reading plan starts uh, this week for June. Um, and so I'm excited about this. We had lots of participation last month. It was really good. We're continuing our year of walking through the Bible. And so if you haven't already, you can get your phone out. I'll let you do that right now. You can scan that code on the screen. There's also a poster out in the, uh, in the lobby, and I believe it's also on our handout today, isn't it, Maria? It is not on our handout today. So you'll need to scan the screen or the poster out there, but jump in, be a part of our Bible study. It'll start, what day is the first? Is that uh, Thursday? So you got a few days, but jump in, be a part of that. Um, but that's not a box to check, and that doesn't equal salvation either. Um, does, it, does it mean we dig deeper into the words? Is, um, do we uncover, unpack, and discover? How does it apply? If, if Jesus stood here and said to me, come follow me, what would my response be? Because when, when people approached Jesus and said they wanted to follow him, his, his response was often, well, leave everything you have and come follow me. In fact, if you look at how he called the disciples in the New Testament, that's exactly what he did. When he called and said, Peter, come follow me. John, come follow me. He said, leave everything. And they did. They, they literally walked away from, from their lives. And I, I love what Galen said last week. Like, it was, it was, you know, their dad and sons, right? Boat fishing company. And they just, they just walked away to follow Jesus. And that's what he demands of us. And American Christianity is very, very counterculture to that. It's about allowing his word and his spirit to transform us. And here's where things often get skewed and when we talk about checking boxes. Because we, we also like to check boxes of, you know, if you're part of a small group or if, you're, if you do this or you do that or, or whatever. And that's, that's not what it's about. Because here's the, here's the truth. External often equals legalism. When we try to do things externally, often that for us equals legalism. In other words, 
Um, you have to do these things or you're not a good enough Christian. And so it becomes this, this show. It becomes about, well, as, as long as everybody sees me doing this stuff, then I, I'll be a good enough believer. But the flip side of that is when it's internal, when it's heart change, when God really does invade our hearts and our lives, when the Holy Spirit really does come and live inside of us, then it equals heart change. And so an internal equals heart change. External often equals legalism. Internal often equals heart change. And we see that and how it plays out in our lives. And so three things, and I'm not going to get through all this today. We'll wrap this up next week. But the first thing is this, that Jesus requires supreme love. He requires supreme love from us. Are we willing to come to Jesus on his terms? And that really is the question that we have to answer today. Are we willing to come to Jesus on his terms? Not on our terms, not on church's terms, but on Jesus' terms. And we're going to unpack what those are um, because often our mode is coming on my terms. If you look at what Christianity we sell, it's, hey, just follow the Roman road, right? Or here's the four spiritual laws, or answer these questions, or pray this prayer, or get out your connect card and sign your card, or get baptized, or raise your hand and declare your love for Jesus. And none of that is in the New Testament. None of that is biblical. None, none of that, that is, that is a, a Christianity that we've created to make it easier for, to follow Jesus. But what we haven't done is talked about what comes on the other side of that. And so Luke 14, 26 says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his whole own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Everybody say cannot. Cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, say it with me, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay a foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose to the one coming at him with 20,000. If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, everybody say everything, everything you have, say it again, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute being there, listening to Jesus teach this. Sometimes we have to contextually place ourselves where Scripture was transpiring because in order to really understand the impact of things he was saying, we have to look at how it played out at that point in time. And so the people there, just as I think us look at this and say, so we're supposed to hate our mom and dad. Okay. Some of the teenagers are like, mission accomplished. Can't stand them. Um, hate your brother and sister, uh, wife and children. Some of you are having marital problems. You're already there. Pick up a cross, the symbol of death and torture, and come follow me, Jesus says. Do these things and then pick up your cross, the symbol of torture, and come follow me. It sounds even more ridiculous today, I think, in view of history and the ease we live our lives in. Um, and I think we can even look at the scripture and go, do we really need to, like, do we need to pay attention to this? Like, and, and the question is, are we, do we really, are we ready to hear this? And are we mature enough to hear this? 
This is how Jesus, the way, introduces himself. He's not talking to mature believers. This is a, this is a crowd of lost people. And his call to them is to say in his initial invitation, I need you to hate everybody and come follow me. Well, that doesn't really sound all that tempting, right? I mean, why would somebody do that? Why would you, why would you hate everybody and follow Jesus? Like, that just doesn't, that's counter even scripture, right? Um, it's in a, I think it's in a bit of an indictment on our form of Christianity. It sounds way over the top. It sounds radical. It sounds like a Jesus freak, right? It sounds like one of those people that's so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. You know some of those people, right? It's not really for us today, but Jesus says you cannot be my disciple if you don't give up What's the word? Everything. You cannot be my disciple if you won't give up everything. We live in a really easy world, right? I mean, what, what, do, you, what do you mean I have to give up everything? I mean, what does that really look like? I have some friends, and I remember at the time thinking they were nuts, um, who lived in uh, down near West Plains, Thayer, Missouri. Anybody ever been float trips down that area? There's some awesome rivers to go down and, uh, and float down. And uh, we used to go down and we'd spend time with them. And uh, we had played in a band together and we recorded an album together. And he's a bass player, loves playing bass. And, and uh, so anyway, they, uh, they had gone on a mission trip. And I don't really remember where they went. But I remember they came back home and all of a sudden <clears throat> their house is up for sale. I'm thinking, he's like, he's a state farm agent. And I, I don't know if you know a lot about like insurance agents, but they make pretty good living, right? Especially if you've been in it for a while. I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? And so we talked, and as they were away on their mission trip, they just knew that God had called them to leave what? Everything and go. These crazy friends of mine pick up their three, four, four little children and move to Angola, Africa. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Angola, Africa. Rachel's daughter is, is actually over in Africa right now um, teaching school. But it's not a safe place. They moved into a compound that was surrounded by eight feet walls and men who sat on top of these walls with M16s. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you take your kids there? And for most of us, that is what you're hearing, isn't it? I wouldn't, I would, you're stupid. I'm, I wouldn't take my kids over there and do something like that. And for most of us, that sounds extreme. But God said to Helmer and Shannon, give up everything. And guess what they did? They literally gave up everything. They gave up a lucrative career. And, I mean, float trips. I mean, I, that, forget about the kids. Float trips are awesome. I mean, I want to go on a float trip, right? Who doesn't want to go on a float trip? I mean, they had a beautiful, like, 19th century home that had been restored. And, man, we had gone and led worship at their church. And they drugged their kids to a compound surrounded by eight feet walls and men with guns that every time they left the compound, a man drove the car and another man sat in the back seat with an M16 
to go share the gospel of Jesus to a world that needed it. That's insane. But that is exactly what Jesus calls us to. And that is really counter-American culture, isn't it? That's really not something that we are really sitting here comfortable with. Like, okay, I'm turning you off now, Lord, because I don't want to hear any more of this. Because I ain't moving to Zimbabwe. I've actually joked about that in my life, and I've said, yeah, one of these days Jesus is going to call me to Zimbabwe, and I'm going to have to walk away from my faith because I'm not living where there's no air conditioning. (laughs) Never say never. Don't tell God what you will or won't do. Pretty sure I've talked about that before. Jesus' words are basic. The beginning is not the destination. We don't give up everything and follow once we get our degree. We don't give, everything, give up everything and follow once we raise our children. We don't give up everything and follow once we know enough about Scripture. We don't give up everything and follow once we've sat through enough Bible studies or, or once we have saved up enough money so that you know, we'll be okay financially. We don't give up everything and follow Jesus when we're comfortable with it. The moment that we decide to follow Jesus, we have to be willing to give up what? Everything. Everything. You know, Brian and I have both talked about this, and, and the question I think we've both asked is, can I be a believer and not, and not be a disciple? Can you be a believer and not be a disciple? There are, like, like, there are levels of Christianity, like I've just got this kind of Christianity. It doesn't really cost me much, right? I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I just have a little prayer here, a little Bible study here. Maybe go to a life group here. Maybe I come to church a couple times a month, maybe. I don't know. I don't really talk to my friends. I don't invite my, my neighborhood over and have a block party and, and cook burgers for everybody and, and share Jesus with them and, and live life. I, that's, just, I, that's just, I don't, I mean, I don't have to go that far. So we've, we've sort of delineated into this like minor Christianity somehow or another. And then there's, you know, these other people who have this other level of Christianity and they, you know, they want to go deeper and they want to get a little more, um, you know, some other level of understanding. That's not biblical. Jesus, Jesus doesn't define a kind of Christianity where you don't have to give up everything. And then this other level where, yeah, you can just a little bit of Jesus enough. Listen, if you call yourself a believer and a Christ one, this is what he demands. Period. End of story. No discussion. And I have to wonder if Many of us have come to Jesus on those terms, on those terms. For sure, we're all in a different place in our spiritual maturity, and, and we all come from different places when we approach the cross. But, but Jesus says three times that this is what's required. Have we really come to him on his terms? It's a basic requirement for discipleship, basically, um, is that it, this, is, this, is, this is just what he demands. There's, just, there's no other way around it. And it's interesting that this scripture is evangelistic in nature. It's not, it's not like Jesus was sitting around a fire right, with his 12 disciples on his back deck um, with his tiki lamps up, you know, talking about, okay, guys, this is what it's going to cost to follow me. No, this was an evangelistic message that Jesus was sharing. Like, How many times have you heard that in a church? Listen, I want you to pray for this with me this morning, but if you pray this prayer this morning, it will cost you your life. We don't live in that world, but almost everywhere in our planet lives in that world. 
If you decide to follow Jesus, chances are you're going to end up persecuted. You're going to end up in prison. You could end up dead. They might come to your door and say, either renounce Jesus or I'm taking your children. And at that point, what kind of faith do you have? If it got to that place in America where, where our government said, listen, if you want to follow Jesus, that's fine, but we're taking your kids because we will no longer have children indoctrinated with the gospel of Jesus. Instead, as Target did this week, we're going to indoctrinate your children with a satanic message that says, sin is wonderful, let's worship Satan together. Do you have that kind of Christianity? Do you have that kind of faith? If they knocked on your door and said, renounce Jesus or I'm taking Maverick, what would you do? And I think that's where the rubber really begins to hit the road, isn't it? Because for most of us and many of us and many who call themselves believers, that would be the end of their faith. I trust you, Jesus, but I don't trust you that much. I'm not willing to give that up. Our kids hit closer to home than anything, don't they? And I want you, I just, I want to, I want to invite you to hear the terms of Jesus and consider, have you ever responded to these terms? Verse 26 says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his home life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying? What does he mean to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, self, your children, your wife? Well, what about the greatest command to love one another? We say, well, but, but the Bible says to love one another. And it says to honor our mom and dad, right? It says, it says to, to, to love. I mean, that's not love, that's hate. Why is he talking about hate? And we have to be careful here because I don't want to soften the words of Jesus, but I want to give some, some context to it. Um, because it's easy for us to say, well, he didn't really mean that. He meant kind of this instead. Jump back to Matthew 22 with me. Um, two, two passages that I want to look at in Matthew. Matthew 22, um, verse 37 says this, that Jesus replied, and we all know this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. First, love God with some of your heart. Is that what we read? Love God with some of my, no. No, it says there to love God with all of my heart. There cannot be, and hear this, because we've taught this, there cannot be priority in our affections. We've heard this, you know, love God and then love your wife and then love your children and then love your church and then love your job, right? And this, this priority of love that we've somehow sold in America. Um, no. God is everything. God is everything. Every other love that we have flows out of the love for God. So we don't have to prioritize all that because when we love God, the rest of that falls in line. When we when we truly follow Jesus and we truly embrace his call in our lives, all the rest of that stuff just falls in line because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives and we don't have to think about, well, I got to prioritize God this week and go to church. No. 
God is the priority, so we go to church, right? God is the priority, so I read his mess, so I read his word. And because I read his word, I know that my wife is a priority. I know that my children are priority. I know that all those things are priority, but all of those things are for naught if, if God himself is not my priority. To love the Lord my God with all my heart means that my affections aren't split between God and anyone else or anything else, Right? The, the commandments say, those shall be no other God before me. No other God before me. Listen, I love my boat. We're going to have a picture of another boat in a minute. Just, I love boats. But I can't love my boat more than I love God. I can't, as much as I love my son, I can't love him more than I love God. Nothing, nothing can come before God. He's primary. He's superior. He's the supreme love. All our affections belong to him. Everything flows from there. And then second, love your neighbor as yourself. Our love for our neighbor and everything else comes from our love from God. Now, jump to Matthew 10. God loves, God's love comes before others. Again, verse 37 in Matthew 10. Whoever, whoever loves his father or mother, here it is again, must be some kind of theme Jesus is talking about here because he said it more than once, Right? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is what? Not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, say it, is not worthy of me. Jesus says, if you don't do these things, you're not worthy of my love. You're not worthy of my salvation. You're not worthy of the cross that I died on for you. If you're not willing to do these things, there's a strong comparison to love, love for God is stronger than. And so when you take contextually Luke 14, you look at Matthew 10, as well as Matthew 22, he uses the word hate, and we're not going to soften that because our love for Jesus is so supreme that it makes all other love look like hate. That's an intense kind of love. How many of you are in love this morning? Boy, some of you, I'm telling you what, you better raise your hands. Gentlemen, you are going to be in some trouble when you get home. I do not want to do marriage counseling this week. How many of you are in love? Come on, throw your hand up. All right, you are in love with your spouse. How many of never mind. Um, Jesus says that that's great, but compared to your love for me, that looks like hate. I'm not sure that we can really quantify that. I'm not, I'm not sure that we can really understand that or define that. I don't know that we can really grasp that wholly and completely, that what that means. But it's in comparison to a love for Christ that we hate everything else. It's a paradigm and a perspective shift. When we love God this way, it's a supreme love. What kind of love do we show to our mom and dad? The love of God. What kind of love do I show to my wife? The love of God. What kind of love do I show to my children? The love of God. What, what kind of love do I show for everything and everyone around me is the love of God. This is huge. Fisha, and I'm going to just give you a little marriage tip here, gentlemen. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means we give up everything. And maybe that's contextually the way we can really grasp that, right? That we give up everything for the love of of our spouse, that we would willingly lay down our lives as Jesus laid down his for us. How if, if, how, if love for God isn't our highest love, can you love your spouse that way? And the answer to that question is you can't. 
You can't love your, your spouse as Christ loved the church if you don't love God more than that because that's what it flows out of. They're not exclusive to one another. We know this kind of love. We listen, listen to how we, this is, this is how we tend to kind of, kind of quantify our love for Jesus. I, I know I need to be in church. I know I need to take my kids to church. I know I need to pray. I know I need to study my Bible. I know I need to be in a small group. I should probably get on that Bible study plan. That's how we quantify our Christianity. But that's not Christianity. It doesn't exist inside of a begrudging obedience. Our faith and our Christianity, listen, does not exist inside of a begrudging obedience. I don't come to church because it's what I'm supposed to do. I don't read God's word because it's what I'm supposed to do. I do these things because I am so in love with Jesus and God. I am so committed to his purposes. I am so much a follower of Christ that all of that other stuff doesn't flow out of I have to. It flows out of a wait for it. I want to. I want to read God's word more. I'm hungry for it. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our cup overflows. He wants to give us more of himself, but it takes us giving him all of ourself. In order for God to give us more of himself, we have to give us him all of ourselves. And that, my friends, is going to cost you. David Platt author and pastor said this, biblical Christianity sees the supremacy of Christ and is so infatuated by him, so drawn toward him, that our love for him drives everything that we do. I love this. It's a superior love that changes, I love this word, you know I do, what's the word? Our perspective on everything in this world. Perspective is everything, right? Right? There's your truth, my truth, whatever. But perspective gives us a picture of everything. We're so in love and drawn to him and his supremacy that it changes our perspective on everything in the world. Question is, in light of 1426, and this is what I want you to ask yourself right now in this moment, do I really love Jesus? Do I really want this kind of Christianity? Not American Christianity, not check-the-box Christianity, not I got to do this or I got to do this to be good enough Christianity, but a Christianity that says, if you stood here this morning and the Holy Spirit came and said next to you and said, Mike, I want you to go to Africa, you've got six months, and go. Am I willing to do that? Several years ago, um, I planted a church here in Independence called The Bridge, it was in 2006. We, were, we met in different places in Independence. And I've probably talked about this a little bit, but I don't think I've talked about it a lot. But we met at a couple different movie theaters. There are some folks here that were part of that church. Um, and uh, we, we moved around some. We ended up at the Pharaoh Theater over here on the square and had some office space. And God was doing some good things. And, and we decided we were going to merge with another church in Blue Springs because we were all exhausted from setting up and tearing down every Sunday. If you haven't done that, you really haven't lived um, uh, in real church world. And so... Um, you know, someday we'll just, we'll go mobile out to the park so you guys can experience the, the misery of, of loving Jesus. But, um, 
we, uh, we, we did this for about four years. And at the end of that four years, we were merging with another church. And the plan was I was going to stay on as the senior pastor. And the, the other guy, Dennis, who was there, was kind of going to associate executive. And we were going to keep going. Well, in the middle of that, God told me to leave. And there were some people that were pretty upset about that, were pretty offended by that, that didn't understand that. And I think sometimes even today, well, I know to this day are still angry um, at us for that. But when God says to go, you dang well better go. And we did. And I'll tell you that, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? And I, I saw you... Sometimes if, if you've been around me, I'll, I'll say, man, I, sometimes I wonder what would happen if we would have stayed. But I'll tell you what would have happened if we would have stayed. I would have lost my family. I didn't know that's what God was doing in the background. I didn't realize that I was neglecting my kids because I was so committed to the church. So hear me, there is a balance, okay? I'm not asking you to like, go live on a street corner in a tent to share Jesus. That's not, that's not the point. But it saved my family. Um, and it reprioritized my life that working in church isn't the goal. Loving Jesus is the goal. And then everything else flows out of that, including being a church planter and a senior pastor and a dad and a husband and a blah, 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 right? Others aren't going to understand sometimes God's call in our lives. Um, but the point is we have to be willing to go. And do we love Jesus that much? Do we want him that much? Is that the kind of Christianity that you have? All that is surface level. The real questions are, do we want Christ? Is he the reason that we live? Is he the reason when our feet hit the floor in the morning that we walk about our days? Is he the one our hearts beat for, that our affections are driven by? And is this the love that makes all other loves look like hate? Our culture tells us to prioritize everything else, right? Kids, marriage, work, sex, relationships, stuff, drugs, parents, friends, stuff. That's unchristian. There's nothing Christian about any of that. All those things can be wonderful things but the priority has to be Christ. And that's what it means to be a disciple. Let me read this as we get ready to close. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which some of you may have read, and if you haven't, you should. And I'm going to tell you this is going to sound nuts. Because when I read this, I was like, what? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. Um, and really, really counterculture to what we honestly believe. I, I, to what we've really been indoctrinated with. And, and I, I read it several weeks ago, and it's really taken me some time to kind of square with it. I, it may be well for you too. But it still moves me on every level. John Bunyan lived in a time when it was not easy to be a follower of Christ, especially not easy to be a preacher of the gospel of Christ. And he preached, and he was told that if you don't stop preaching, Bunyan, that you'll be imprisoned. And so immediately I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I knew that I came out of my office this morning and the police walked in here this morning and said, you can't preach. If you don't stop, we're putting you in jail. Okay. Well, that's something to think about. 
He and his family were not well off as it was, his wife and his children, one of whom was blind, barely had enough to eat and to live on while he was free. He knew that if he was imprisoned, it would bring great harm upon his family. So what does he do? What do you do when faced with that decision? Do you keep preaching? John Bunyan said, absolutely, you keep preaching, and he was imprisoned. As he wrote from his jail cell, the parting with my wife and poor children has often been to me in this place as the pulling of flesh from my bones. Can you feel that? I'm willing to give up everything for Jesus. And as I sit here in prison, and I know my children don't have food, and I know I've got a sick daughter, that it's like someone's pulling flesh from my bones. That's how much this is costing me. This is how much it hurts. And that not only because I am fond of these great mercies, talking about his family and his children, but also because I've often been brought to my mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family is likely to be meeting with, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer to my heart than all I have besides. Oh, and the thought of the hardship I have thought my blind one might go under would break my heart to pieces. But yet, Bunyan said, yet, from a prison cell, he writes, I must venture all with God. Oh, I have seen in this condition, I am like a man pulling down his house upon the wife of his children and his wife. Yet, through it, I must do it. I must do it. Jesus requires superior love. Does he have it from you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the bottom line is this sounds unbelievably foreign to us. It sounds ludicrous to us. Lord, we have been brought up in a world where everything else comes first. Lord, we've been taught that, it's, that we put a, a roof over our heads and, and we take care of our wives and our children and we, and we get the right jobs and we, and we get the right schooling or we get the right trade. And, and Lord, then we, we go about our lives and Lord, we look forward to retirement when, when we don't have to do anything anymore and often that includes going to church. Lord, we don't relate to this because we don't live it. But right now, in this very moment in our world, there are people who are being killed because they proclaim your name. Right now in our world, there are people in jail cells in China, in Africa, in Asia, suffering and tortured because they will not denounce the name of Jesus, whose families are being neglected and tortured, who are living this very thing out right now in these moments. And Lord God, we can't relate to it, but Lord Jesus, I see the horizon and I know that I know that I know because your word says it, Lord God, there will be a day that this is coming, even for us in America. Lord God, the, 
your scripture and your word is growing exponentially in other parts of the world because we thrive in persecution because it forces us to understand that, Lord, without you, we have nothing. Lord, that in our weakness, you're strong, that you've called us to give up everything. And, and Lord, how dare we not? How dare we not? God, as we walk out of here this morning, I pray that we will ponder what kind of faith we have. Do we have a faith that says, I really am willing to give up everything for the cause of Christ? I really am willing to lay down my life, the, wife of, the, 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 the life of my spouse, of my children. I'm willing to give it all up because Jesus, I know that my reward isn't here anyway. My reward is in eternity. And my call is to share your truth with a world so hungry for truth. In a world that we see our enemy, we see Satan, what looks like winning. Lord, I pray that our faith would be real that your truth would be our truth, that we would measure our ideas and our thoughts against your word, that we would take seriously the threat against Christianity in our world, and that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, Lord God. We are fighting against the enemy, against principalities and powers in dark places. Lord God, you have called us to put on your full armor, according to Ephesians, and stand, and stand firm on your truth and your gospel with a love for others that's overshadowed by a love for you that is so supreme. Lord, we love you. And Lord, I pray as we go about our week that you'll really make this real to us. Lord, as we come back next week and... and and unpack the rest of this, that you'll be here, that you'll walk with us this week. Lord, we love you. We praise you because of the cross, because you conquered death, because of the empty tomb. In Jesus' name, amen.